Listener supported. WNYC Studios. We've been in the car for eight hours now, and we are stuck in traffic. This is some tape from a piece we aired last summer. It's a teenager named Drew Adams talking to his mom, Erica. They were riding in her SUV from their home in Florida to North Carolina. Okay, so legit question. If we have to stop and use a restroom, which one are you planning to use? Erica was asking Drew which bathroom he was going to use, because Drew is trans. I'll figure it out when I get there. If I get there. Okay, right. Drew was born a girl, now identifies as a boy. And at the time, North Carolina had just passed their bathroom bill. But North Carolina is also home to one of the only clinics for trans youth in the South. Last June, we spent the day there with Drew and a couple of other teenagers, Martin and Jay, who were just beginning to physically transition from one gender to another. It's been 10 months now, so we thought it was time to check back in. So what have the last few months been like? Oh, it's been pretty good. Um, my dose has been slowly increasing, and I've noticed a little bit more acne. So how do you feel physically? Like, do you feel different at all? I feel good. I know that. Well, my voice definitely is the most noticeable thing. This is Martin. That's not his real name. He asked us to change it to protect his privacy. Martin identifies as a boy. I noticed today, actually, looking at pictures of myself from a year ago, that my face structure is different. I was kind of like, oh, that's a baby face, my old face. And now I'm like, it feels more mature. I guess it feels better. I've seen... um a little bit of a difference with my face being slender, I have um, bigger cheekbones. And Jay identifies as female. Like, I have really soft skin, and I have a lot of um, pain and, like, tissues growing. And as far as mentally, I cry a lot more. I'm a little bit more temperamental. I deal with PMS and all that stuff. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Mary Harris, and this is Only Human. Since we first met these kids, a lot's happened. Just last week, North Carolina passed a controversial repeal of HB2, the country's first anti-trans bathroom law. But at the same time, 16 other states are considering bathroom bills of their own. And the Trump administration has canceled protections for trans students. But when I called up these kids, I realized the changes they're experiencing are a lot more personal. This week, we're going to replay that episode we originally broadcast back in August, where we spent a day at Duke's Child and Adolescent Gender Clinic. Even with the political debate about transgender rights raging on, more and more kids are showing up there. After you've listened, stay tuned. We'll have updates from all the kids at the end. Because politics aside, if you're a teenager, and especially a teen who's transitioning from one gender to another, 10 months is like a lifetime. The clinic is only open a couple of days a week. It's part of Duke's Children's Hospital, a sunny, modern addition to the main hospital next door. There's a giant fish tank when you walk in, and everything, the armchairs and the art, is Crayola-colored and bright. At 9 a.m., Drew and Erica check in at reception. Drew, when's your date of birth? Uh, 9-29-2000. A sign on the desk reads, We value diversity. Tell us your pronouns. These signs are all over the hospital, actually, asking kids to tell doctors whether they go by him or her or they. Who's your primary care doctor? Uh, Dr. Tarbox. Drew looks pretty androgynous. He's got blonde hair cut short with a sweep of bangs across his forehead. 
He has a ring through the center of his nose. And as the medical assistant gets his height and weight, Drew squints at her through his wide wire-framed glasses. Let me get your blood pressure. This is Drew's second time here. He's been living as a boy for about a year, asking friends and teachers to call him he. Now he's looking to start his physical transition. He's hoping the doctor will prescribe testosterone, a once a month injection. Did you guys have any questions or concerns about anything? No. While they're waiting for the doctor, my producer Jillian asks Drew about the shirt he's wearing. Can you tell me what your t-shirt says? Yeah, it says this is what trans looks like, and the word trans is in trans flag colors. Where did you get that t-shirt? Mom made it. A few months back, Drew's mom Erica posted a rebirth announcement on Facebook, coming out as the mom of a trans kid. Today, she's wearing this little button that says, I'll go with you. It means she'll go to the bathroom with anyone who feels unsafe going on their own. Erica's learned to embrace Drew's new identity, because when he was living as a girl, she says he was really anxious and depressed. Then after he came out as trans, it was like flipping a light switch. Suddenly, he has not had an issue with anxiety or depression pretty much since that day. He's been so confident. He's been so positive. He's so bright. That's kind of his mood all the time now. She doesn't like talking about what Drew's life was like before he started transitioning. But when I asked her how she knew living as a boy was the right choice for Drew, she was blunt. She said, I'd rather have a living son than a dead daughter. How are you? I'm oh, great. Excellent. Dr. Dina Adkins started this clinic. She's an endocrinologist, a hormone okay. doctor. Anything new since I saw you last? No. Medically, no. You've been healthy? Excellent. Drew is almost giddy to see her. When she walks in, his only question is, when can I start testosterone? Today. Yeah. Sound yeah. good? <laughs> All right. <laughs> All right. So, yeah, I'll give you a prescription. Drew's starting out on a fraction of the dose an adult would get. But there are still a lot of unknowns about what these hormones will do long term. When Dr. Adkins leaves to write up a prescription, the clinic's social worker comes in. And she's got this packet of paper that lists every potential side effect of this treatment. She starts reading off these statements for Drew to agree with. Um, I understand that the medical effects and the safety of testosterone are not completely known. Um, There may be some long-term risks that are not yet known. Yes. Drew's required to affirm that he's heard all of them, and it's a long list. The hormones might give him headaches, high blood pressure, an inflamed liver. Emotional changes, for example, um, and more aggression. Um, I know that the effects of testosterone on fertility are unknown. I have been told that I may or may not be able to get pregnant even if I stop taking testosterone. Going through these side effects takes nearly 20 minutes. I know that using testosterone to appear more masculine is an off-label use. I know this means that it's not approved by the government. Yes. Drew signs one final form, and Dr. Adkins comes back in with a prescription. Alrighty. Guess what I have in my hand? Happy drugs. Yay! Yay! I have one question. Yes. So you said you don't, you can't give me the shot right now. No. What if I went to the hospital pharmacy, picked mm-hmm. this up, and gave me the shot in the hotel? Can I do that? Yes, you can do that. Yay! <laughs> I can do that. <laughs> I can get my shot today. Yeah. Because yeah. I told all my friends I was getting it today. Andrew does give himself the shot that day in a conference room at the hospital. He sets up his iPhone to record it. This is a big moment for me, yes, and I want to <laughs> vlog it. 
video set up. There's that. Big moment. Mr. Purple Needle. Let's do that. Swabby swab. The little bottle. Okay. Testosterone. Put the needle in the thingy. I did it. You did it. I'm on testosterone. <laughs> I, I, I did it. How do you feel? Great. <laughs> okay, so how many friends have you texted already? I posted about it on Instagram, so that's about 550 right there. <laughs> and then my best friend, Anna. Drew's created a whole online identity as a trans kid. He has a YouTube channel, and he sells pride tattoos on Etsy. Okay, so I think... He came out as transgender after watching an episode of Ellen featuring a trans guy named Aiden Dowling. Aiden's online video, chronicling his transition, has more than half a million views. And I started Googling, you know, um, girl that becomes a boy or how to grow up to be a man. And um, the internet just engulfed me. And I was just, for the next, you know, 48 hours, it was... Videos and links and articles and right. everything was just totally involved. I think I have to say at this point, I think people's fear of like, oh my God, if there's if it's just floating out there, then my child is going to just look on the internet and become a different gender. I don't think it works that way. No, it was more like that was the missing puzzle piece. But Aiden started his transition at 21. Drew is 15. Do you ever worry you're making this big decision? Like, what if I change my mind? Absolutely not. This is the happiest I've been all my life. Like, today, getting that prescription, like, that's probably the happiest I've been. Even just a few years ago, hormones might not have been an option for a kid like Drew. This clinic is brand new. Dr. Adkins opened it only a year ago. When did you see your first patient who was trans? Oh, Wow. I have to think about that. I want to say 2012. 2012. So just four years ago. Yeah. When she was in medical school, Dr. Adkins trained to treat kids with diabetes or growth hormone deficiencies. But in 2012, she got a call from a physician in New York City. He had a transgender patient who needed a local doctor. I uh, said, well, I don't know what to do. I've never studied that. I haven't been trained to do that. And he said, that's okay. I wrote the articles. I'll send them to you. (laughs) And so he sent me all his articles. Deciding to treat that first patient wasn't easy for Dr. Adkins. She spent about a month going back and forth about it. She knows that in North Carolina, patients like hers are targets. And that means she is too. It was a big decision for me. Um, I mean, we're at risk too. Just like our patients, um, they're not so nice people that would push us around or say ugly things about us um, because we're doing this work. So safety is a big concern for her, but it's the patients she really worries about. Patients like Jay. Hey. <laughs> Hello. This is Jay. Hi. Nice to see you. I'm Mary. I'm Jillian. We walk into Jay's appointment just after lunch. Jay is an 18-year-old African-American trans woman who lives just outside Raleigh. She's here to get a prescription for estrogen. Dr. Adkins is in the middle of ticking off the side effects. Sometimes the risk increases for diabetes in, mm-hmm. any, in the family you know of. Yeah, a lot. Your mom? Mm-hmm. My right. mother, mm-hmm. and my grandfather, and my brother. Jay's dad was supposed to be here, 
But in the end, she's here alone. All right, I'm going to give you a little bit of a once-over. Just the usual. I wash my hands. Jay is incredibly thin and perfectly styled. She has long fake eyelashes and lots of pink eyeshadow. The only real sign she wasn't born a girl is the distinct shadow of hair on her neck. She's hoping that's about to change, though. She says she's going to pick up her prescription as soon as she leaves the doctor. I'm go marching in there. I'm probably going to twerk <laughs> to the counter. I'm going to twerk to the counter. You know, this is a really good feeling for me. I'm not able to scream like I would at home, but I would be screaming right now. Um, what are you most looking forward to? To be honest, I'm ready for my boobie. <laughs> to be honest, I'm ready. Yeah, I've been waiting a long time for, you know, to be able to develop breasts. How long have you known that you're trans? Well, at first when I was younger, I would like first get nail polish and eyeliner. And my mom would notice, would ask me if I wanted to be a girl. When she was younger, Jay didn't think that she did want to be a girl. She came out as gay, and her mom was pretty supportive of that. But then when Jay told her mom she was trans... She was angry at me. She thought that I was lying to her. I was living a lie. And it just took me by surprise that she, you know, wouldn't, you know, accept me the way I thought she would. Because she'd been asking you, do you want to be a girl? Do you want to be a girl? Mm -hmm. And I would say no. I would be like, no, I'm not. I'm not. And then you were like, hold it, maybe I am. Mm -hmm. And that Mm -hmm. kind of confused her and it threw her off. My dad had a really hard time with it. It was kind of an unspoken thing. But my mom, she got most of the flack from it, you know, from my family. They would ask why I was like that. And eventually they started to understand that I couldn't help. That's the way I was. And they started, you know, understanding that this is a real thing. Like, I'm not just acting. I'm not confused. It's not a phase. They don't use my pronouns, you know. So your family still calls you he? Mm-hmm, yeah, still. Your mom and dad, too? My mom, she's saying she. My dad calls me he, still. So part of the reason we're here is because North Carolina has been in the news so much because of this bathroom law. Mm-hmm. You got a look on your face when I said that. Since I've lived here in North Carolina, I know how it is. And people that I know out of state are just like, it's not that bad. I'm like, yes, it is. Like... I know a lot of discrimination, no places not to go where I could get hurt. And I just knew for a long time it would end up, you know, coming to light and it would end up being nasty. Jay can recite the names of trans women of color who've been killed over the last couple of years. She's scared that if she does something kind of normal, like make the first move with a guy, she'll get hurt physically. How do you keep yourself safe in the outside world? I stay home. (laughs) <laughs> it shouldn't be that way but otherwise you know I like to travel in groups I travel in groups I don't like to go anywhere late at night I don't like to um I don't seek out men not a lot of places don't feel safe um work doesn't feel safe sometimes um home doesn't feel safe sometimes I'm safe when I'm by myself all right Here is the uh, discharge information. Um, It has uh, your vitals from today, your uh, medications that I sent to your pharmacy right there. And then I put the side effects once again for the medications here and a reminder to put the estrogen under your tongue. Okay. Okie doke. Awesome. Thank you. You're welcome. After seeing Jay, Dr. Adkins goes into this little workroom to go over patient records and catch her breath. 
I'm getting a little worried. I mean, not that I wasn't worried already, but I was just told by the third patient that they're moving out of state because they don't feel safe. Dr. Adkins tells patients about support groups and makes sure they visit with a social worker. But she worries it's not enough. The thing that I fear is also something that I know will eventually happen. I hope not, but I feel from talking to other people who care for transgender kids that it, it's likely, highly likely, that one of my patients will kill themselves one day. And that's, that's the day I don't, I don't look forward to. Oh, God. It's just, it's just heartbreaking. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But all of, a, all of the providers who've done this work for any length of time all have patients who've either taken their own life or someone's killed them. After the break, Dr. Adkins says the work she does is more of an art than a science. And for parents, that means there aren't a lot of easy answers. Well, I know it's, sometimes I feel hopeful. I'm thinking, well, maybe it'll change. Maybe he'll wake up one day and say, no, this is, this is not for me. This is not, this was a mistake. Um, you know, the likelihood of that happening is probably really low. So I, I try not to get, you know, excited about it, hoping that something would happen. Hey, this is Kathy and Tobin, hosts of the WNYC Studios podcast, Nancy. This month marks 50 years since the uprising at the Stonewall Inn here in New York's Greenwich Village, an event that some consider to be one of the catalysts for the LGBTQ civil rights movement. And to commemorate this moment, we've curated some of the best episodes from the great podcasts at WNYC that celebrate queer stories and voices. It's called The Sound of Pride, Stonewall at 50. Subscribe to The Sound of Pride, Stonewall at 50 for free wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Mary Harris. This is Only Human. Today, we are going back to North Carolina, to one of the only gender clinics for kids in the South. It's run by an endocrinologist named Dr. Dina Adkins. Following her around, I learned that a lot of her teenage patients were dealing with severe depression and anxiety. Their parents were coming here for answers, but there wasn't a quick fix. The big question that I get is, what's the test? Are they transgender or not? We're here to find that out. I'm like, oh, there's no test. <laughs> um, you know, it takes a lot of understanding, a lot of conversation, a lot of things to really figure that out. Um, I think they just really want me to tell them no and that they can move on with their life. They want you to say, like, no, I'm the doctor. You can't have the medicine. Yeah. Yeah. Um, sometimes that's where we end up, but that's not the usual case. You know, we got to sort it through. We got to figure out really where you are, really where you want to go. Is that transgender? Is it not transgender? Is it, where is it? The day we visited, Dr. Adkins saw 10 patients. The last one came in around 4.30, and I caught up with him in the waiting room first. What's your, like, biggest question in this appointment? Um, why am I so tired all the time, I guess? We're calling this patient Martin, but we're using pseudonyms for him and his mom, Karen. I thought that when I started the hormones, I would 
get more energy, and I was looking forward to that, actually. Martin is slouched in the waiting room chair. He's 16, and he's really thin in baggy clothes. He has short brown hair with blonde highlights, and it's kind of hard to tell his gender just by looking at him. He says he first remembers feeling like his body wasn't quite right when he was about seven. He was at summer camp, and he didn't want to use the girls' changing room. And a year and a half ago, he came out as transgender. Tell me about when you first told your mom about being trans. It was one of the last days of the year. I couldn't sleep, and one night I went into my mom's room, and I was like, I need to talk to you about something right now. I can't stop thinking about it. Martin's mom, Karen, didn't really believe what he was saying. She was like, it could be that you're just, you know, curious. It could be that you're just not like most girls. Before their appointment, I pulled Martin's mom aside to talk to her one-on-one because it was clear she's still struggling. The whole thing was just very shocking. I mean... I gave birth to this child. This is my daughter, and I just, it was just hard out of habit um, just knowing her. Gender isn't the only thing Martin's having a hard time with. When Martin hit puberty, he got depressed. He refused to go to school. And after he started cutting himself, his mom had him hospitalized. She worries now that coming out as trans is one more expression of how unhappy Martin is. And it's made accepting his new identity even more difficult. I felt almost like I was lying by calling her he. I felt like I was lying um, to myself, to everybody. And I just, it just didn't seem natural to me at all. Was there a point when that stopped or does it still kind of feel like that? It's gotten much better. Um, I've been working really hard at trying to do that. And I I do slip every now and then still. Um, I've talked to other parents who have transgender children and they still make a mistake every now and then. In fact, on the way here, I made a mistake, and he corrected me. But it's, it's really odd. I feel like I'm talking about somebody else sometimes when I talk about this is my son. Most of the time we were talking, Karen was literally shaking. She was so nervous. She desperately wants her kid to be okay. And transitioning has made a huge difference for him. She says the changes were... Almost like immediate? Yeah, it, I saw immediate changes. When he was living as a girl, Martin was withdrawn. But after a couple of months of testosterone... He's really opened up to me. Uh, He confides in me. He will sit down and have dinner with me, have conversation with me. You know, it's more like we've become friends again and we've reconnected. Um, I think it's because he realizes that I accept him for who he is and I'm going to support him. But Martin's become really sluggish. He's been sleeping all day when he can, sometimes for stretches of 11 hours at a time. When they get into the exam room, Dr. Adkins wants to figure out why. All righty. Well, um, I'm going to give you a once-over. You'll pop up there for me. She asks a few questions and does a quick physical exam. When Martin rolls up his sleeves, I can see his arms are covered in delicate white scar tissue from cutting. Blood sugar was good. Kidney liver function was all normal. Testosterone was 294, which is a good number. All right. Have you seen any change in facial hair, acne, oiliness, any of that? Um, acne and oiliness, definitely a lot more. Mm-hmm. Also on my back a lot. Okay. Dr. Adkins eventually convinces Martin to take a little less testosterone to see if that helps him feel less tired. Yeah, I'm a little worried about the fatigue. You too? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. 
Martin's not thrilled with this decision because he has been so much happier since he started transitioning. But Dr. Adkins is insistent, and she asks him to get one more round of blood work before he goes. And so um, she's going to come grab you for the labs in a minute, and then you can check out. For right now, I put in for a four-month follow-up, so you can make that out front. Okay. When I started reporting this story, the one question I kept coming back to was, how do these kids know what they want when they are so young? So before Martin left, I asked him to try to explain it to me. I could never see myself being the woman in a relationship, and it was the most uncomfortable idea to me. Um, To be the woman? Yeah. Why? Like... It's something that I really can't put into words exactly. Um, it sort of has to do with, like, traditional roles in a relationship that a woman has. Like, you know, the man would ask the woman out kind of thing. But also something that you can't really explain. You just have to feel it. Martin told me he doesn't think he'll ever change his mind about his transition. But when I listen back to him trying to explain exactly what trans feels like to him... I can hear him struggling to do it. His mom hears it, too. And even his therapist said, you know, this may not be forever. We don't know for sure. Nothing is 100% guaranteed. He could change his mind two months from now, six months, ten years. We don't know. But right now, this is where he's at. How do you feel about that? Well, I know it's... Sometimes I feel hopeful. I'm thinking, well, maybe... It'll change. Maybe he'll wake up one day and say, no, this is, this is not for me. This is not. This was a mistake. Um, you know, the likelihood of that happening is probably really low. So I, I try not to get, you know, excited about it, hoping that something would happen. And she does worry that Martin can't know how he'll feel down the line. Remember all those side effects? His ovaries may become destroyed. Um, but he said that he's fine with that because he never really planned on having children. But... He's only 16, so, you know, I hope that he doesn't change his mind down the road and have any regrets. By the time Martin leaves, this clinic has been seeing patients for almost 12 hours straight. Back in the clinic workroom, Dr. Adkins goes over paperwork with the clinic social worker. End of the day. Yay. 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 6.30. Yeah. (laughs) It's been 7 before. That's true. Um, How do you feel at the end of a day like this? Exhausted. Um, rewarding. Definitely feel like I've done good, but it takes a lot out of me. Yeah. In about a month, Martin will head back to school in Raleigh. And for the first time, he'll walk through those doors as a boy. I asked him what bathroom he'll use, and he said it'll depend how brave he's feeling. Can you hear me all right? Yeah, I can hear you. Can you hear me? This is Martin yeah. today. Yeah. Oh. It turns out that going back to school as a new gender wasn't that big of a deal. Martin spent the last few months legally changing his name to make his transition official. You know, it feels normal, but like in a really liberating way. It's hard to explain. I, I feel like I have one less thing to worry about. And that one less thing was like 
the source of a lot of my anxiety. Like when my teachers give me back like report cards and stuff, it has my new name so I don't have to look at my old name anymore and hide it. You would hide it? It was more like I um, would just shuffle it under my other papers if there was a report with my legal name on it. His school told him they were fine with him using whatever bathroom he wanted. So a few weeks into the school year, he started using the boys' room. Every time I've had to use the bathroom has been pretty much just like the way it was before, like a long time ago when I was a kid. And it was just kind of like, oh, yeah, it smells bad. But uh, (laughs) and now I see myself thinking, why was I ever so concerned? You know, everybody's minding their own business in there. Nobody really cares about what's going on. They're just trying to get in and get out just like me. When I listened back, the thing that struck me when I talked to you about the bathroom was that you said the bathroom you used would depend on how brave you were. So do you feel like you're braver now? Did I really say that? Um, (laughs) Wow. I guess I really have changed a lot. Um, What do you mean? I just don't feel brave now that I'm using. It just kind of feels normal. It doesn't feel like some big thing to overcome. It just feels like, oh yeah, I'm going to the bathroom. You know, it's not a scary place. And I guess that's because I'm at a different point in my life now than I was then. You know, it doesn't feel like bravery. It just feels like being a person and living and doing normal human things. I'm honestly too afraid to use the men's room. Down in Florida, Drew Adams isn't having as much luck as Martin is. I don't know what the administration will do if I do use the men's room and I do get caught. So I usually just use the gender-neutral bathroom that is conveniently inside one of the classrooms I have. Drew's been battling his school about those bathrooms. He appealed his case to the principal, the superintendent, and then the U.S. Department of Education. But it didn't work out. So in the fall, the Department of Education said, hey, you have to let these kids use the bathroom they want to use. Yeah. And then your school said, no, thank you. Basically, yeah. Man, that must have been a rough day. It's been, (laughs) yeah. It was. This was no small decision. The Department of Education found that Drew's school was in violation of Title IX, which bars gender discrimination. That meant the DOE could have cut off federal funding as punishment. And that's where we were. But then the election happened, and that's all out the window, and all that work is basically lost. Drew's still doing all he can to make going to school more comfortable for kids like him. One way he's been doing that is by petitioning to open up a third gender-neutral bathroom. Yes. Last Friday, we met with the principal, and we agreed to open that bathroom again. Oh, that's great. It's not everything, but... Yeah, it's a step in the right direction. And he did have one more update. So I follow you on Instagram, and a couple months ago I started noticing someone new coming down your feed, someone named CJ. CJ is my partner. Cool. So I want to make sure I use the right pronouns. Him, her? They. They. Okay. Where'd you guys meet? We met at a local LGBT event There's a local organization called Jasmine, and they put on the 
Jasmine House Ball, which is basically, it's like drag style house balls, you know? There's a runway and you dress up for a look and you compete. What'd you wear? I was executive realness, so I wore a suit. Executive realness? Yes, and I won. (gasps) You won? Yes. As part of his costume, Drew was handing out business cards. When he gave one to CJ, he wrote his phone number on the back. Both Drew and CJ live outside Jacksonville. Their counties voted overwhelmingly for Trump. I wanted to know if that was making his transition harder. And Drew said, sure, he's noticed a few more people in Make America Great Again hats. But... I kind of just ignore them and keep doing my own thing. One day they will respect me. It doesn't feel different. It just feels more aired out. Jay sees things differently. Maybe because she's older, out of school, working a nine-to-five. The transphobia that for many people seems implicit in these bathroom bills. For Jay, that kind of hostility towards LGBT people just doesn't seem that new. This is definitely nothing I haven't experienced before. It sucks, yes, but I mean, I have a thick skin, so I'm able to, you know tackle stuff that I feel isn't right. And most people don't really try it with me. Like, they kind of already get that I I wouldn't have that. Politics aside, Jay's life is changing. Her body, her friendships, and definitely her dating life. I see myself as, um, not to be, like, cocky or anything. I, I think I'm pretty. I think I'm a very pretty girl. Like a lot of teenagers, like a lot of all of us, Jay's trying to find love online. She says she wants a hetero relationship with a man. It's kind of hard to date, you know, like even when you're on Tinder, you know, I'm kind of scrolling through my Tinder right now. (laughs) (laughs) um, I'm going through um, Tinder and it's like, you know, I match with a whole bunch of guys and they'll, they'll be really interested in me and they'll think I'm really, really pretty. But a real connection, that is a whole other story. Partly that's just life on Tinder. But for Jay, there's something more to it. It's in my bio that I'm trans, and I put that on there, but apparently some people don't read bios. So I always have to go through every single guy and just, like, ask just to be safe because I know some guys, if you meet them and you go on a date and all that stuff, you let them know you're trans, they'll freak out. And there's guys that will talk to you, then use you for your body and stuff like that. And that feels like um, a brick wall right now because kind of like, how do I date? Have you been on a good date? Yeah, I have, actually. I've been on a really good date um, recently. It was for Valentine's Day, actually. It was a really good date, and um, we had fun until he told me he was, like, polyamorous. I was like, nah. I still, I, I don't know. I feel like after 19, like, of course, I want a relationship to be able to experience it. You know what I mean? It's frustrating sometimes. It hurts your feelings a lot of times. Like, you know, sometimes I feel lonely. Sometimes I feel confused. But I just have to tell myself that it'll get better. One last thing. The clinic where we met these kids says they are seeing more patients now than ever. When we visited, it was only open one day a month. Now, it's open once a week, and there's a four-month wait for an appointment. 
Only Humans, a production of WNYC Studios. And we want to let you know that you can listen to this show on Spotify. Just search for Only Human in the podcast stream. Our team for our original episode included Lee Talmalad, Amanda Aronchik, Jillian Weinberger, Elaine Chen, Paige Cowett, Julia Longoria, Kenny Malone, Fred Mogul, and Lisa Rappaport. Christopher Johnson produced this update, and Ben Adair edited it. Our technical director is Casey Means. Tony Phillips is WNYC's vice president of on-demand content. I'm Mary Harris. Talk to you soon. Support for WNYC's health coverage and Only Human is provided by the Tarina Endowment Fund, Jane and Gerald Catcher, the Robert Wood Johnson Foundation, the Simons Foundation, the Alfred P. Sloan Foundation, and the Winston Foundation.